0: Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding recovery podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode.
1: Hey, guys, buddy. C, happy new year, everyone. I say I had a sponsee, Zachy, that I talk with about the Tao all the time. He sent me a. His, his Happy New Year to me was, Happy New Year, may it be filled with emptiness. <laughs> and I said, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> so I started using that. After he after he said that, I started using it. So guys, may your New Year be filled with emptiness. Is that not what the Tao is all about anyway, is teaching us how to get out of the way, how to step aside, God seems to work in my life in spite of me, not because of me. Just getting out of the way so I can see more of that. It's happening all the time, whether I realize it or not, you know. Let me go ahead and welcome everyone. Today we have a good crowd. Cindy and Jan. Jan's new. Glad to see you, Jan. Good to have you, Sandra. Good to have Tina and Kirsty and Marla and Rob, Craig and Paul. Any comments on this ninth chapter before we begin?
2: Um, I, I mean, I think it really relates very well to addiction in that, um, reading Wayne Dyer, that one is never enough. We need to keep going and going and going because we need to keep going to get satiated. And this chapter is telling us to stop at a, at, stop when we're at that point of satiation and don't go any further. Which
1: reminds me drinking for me. I agree, Marla. Oh, I want to. I we got a card. We got a holiday, we got a Christmas card from um, Drew C. I'd like to give a shout out to Drew. Um, he, he's a listener that I met last summer as he was driving through, and he wanted to wish everyone a, a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and that he appreciated the podcast. So thank you, Drew. We, we appreciate you, and it's good to hear from you. But that was, that was very nice. Craig, you have a comment?
3: Yeah, two things. Just we doing a shout-out to Drew. Um, I've got a shout-out to Matt, who's just joined the SRC as well. Um, he joined the SRC through listening to the podcast, I believe, or as one of the catalysts. So welcome, Matt. I wish I'd have been taught this chapter at school. If I'd been taught this at school, then my life wouldn't have been half
0: the shit show that it was. Anything else before we read? Paul's going to read for us today. Uh, here we go. Ninth chapter, first translation. Better to stop short than fill to the brim. Oversharpen the blade and the edge will soon blunt. Amass a store of gold and jade and no one can protect it. Claim wealth and titles and disaster will follow. Retire when the work is done. This is the way of heaven. Second translation, fill your bowl to the brim and it will spill. Keep sharpening your knife and it will blunt. Chase after money and security and your heart will never unclench. Care about people's approval and you will be their prisoner. Do your work, then step back. The only path to serenity. Third translation, it is easier to carry an empty cup than one that is filled to the brim. The sharper the knife, the easier it is to dull. The more wealth you possess, the harder it is to protect. Pride brings its own trouble. When you have accomplished your goal, simply walk away. This is the pathway to heaven. And the fourth and final translation, if you drink too much, you get drunk. The engine won't start if you're always tinkering with it. If you hoard wealth, you will fall into its clutches. If you crave success, you succumb to failure. Do what you have to do, then walk away. Anything else will drive you nuts. Anything else will drive you nuts. Yeah, that last one, that really speaks to the addiction there, doesn't it? That last translation. It does, Paul. It does.
1: Uh, I, th- I think Marla hit the nail on the head, though. Craig?
3: So I'm reading the book, the, um, the Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, and he's talking about how we should stop and give ourselves, give ourselves a bit of time, give ourselves a bit of rest, and um, not constantly overdo it. And what he'd done was he um, he compared our minds and our lives to his Ferrari or a multi-million pound sports car. And he's saying that if you have something of that value, if you have something that, that's, that's worth so much to you, you wouldn't constantly be running it at full throttle, at full speed, and just running the ass out of this thing. You would always stop. You'd put petrol in it. You'd check the oil levels. You'd check the coolant levels. You'd make sure that everything is just ticking over perfectly, so that you don't have to. You don't have to take the current in the garage constantly and constantly be paying for all these repairs. Um, and he was saying, if you treat your mind and your body like that as well, if you always stop, pause, and just give yourself that that time to yourself, that, that prayer meditation time, that spiritual time, time that you can build yourself up and just refresh yourself rather than constantly burning yourself out. I got that idea as well from the sharpening your blade. We can, we can do this sort of thing in recovery. We can do too much recovery. We can do too much work on ourselves, and we can end up burning ourselves out. I was in a place like that about you nearly know, about two years ago, I was reading all these books. I was listening to all these podcasts. I was empathizing to what everybody was saying. And I just got stuck into this rut of um, I've just been too empathetic. It started depressing me. And I couldn't really find a way out. And it wasn't until I went to my doctor, he just says, look, stop. You're doing far too much. You have to to just stop and just take it easy. Let's just start from the bottom. Let's, Let's just keep it simple. Let's get to your meetings. Let's start connecting with people and just forget about everything else that's going on. Um so, yeah, I like that. I like that verse. Ninth, ninth chapter is a great, a great chapter. More particular for people, addiction or people who struggle with, with moderation. Thanks, Greg. Marla, you have something?
2: Yeah, we can't do moderation. It's uh, not this, and this, I think this chapter though, is not specifically talking to people in recovery, but, um, you know, it's, it is saying, be moderate in, in your worldly goods, you know, or uh, uh, acquiring worldly goods and not also be too big and proud with all your worldly goods, because eventually they're going to be gone. Um, And it's same with our recovery though. If we, like, I I love what you said, Craig, if we do too much, um, it gets, we get into a rut, you know, and, there's nothing else going on in our lives that should be going on. We need to live a normal life, at least try to. But, um, you know, when somebody starts spewing dogma and, you know, I I do this and this and this every day, I think to myself, you know, that's a little, they're not really living. They're, They're not, you know, assimilating into real life at this point. They're just all about recovery. And I fear for them. And I get turned
1: off. You know, Marla, for me, if I take the same approach to recovery that I took with um, learning a new job or a new hobby or a new skill, I, I could have a tendency to burn out. For me, that would be the kind of thing that Craig was talking about
3: mm-hmm.
1: with doing too much coming into recovery. You know, I'm doing too much, doing too much to me is the work harder, do better mentality that we try to – a lot of times that we can apply to recovery, not understanding. I, I had to take a whole different approach to recovery than the work harder, do better mentality because that work harder, do better just caused more angst for me and more, more issues. So when I realized it wasn't about working harder and doing better, um, it was about surrender. Um, for me, the most important thing I do every day is not a reading or this or that, is spending some time in meditation. I skipped my meditation time yesterday. I don't know when in the past I've had a day that I did zero meditation, but that day was yesterday. I did none. Uh, got up early, went and did a hike, a, sun, a sunrise hike with some recovery friends, got home, got busy, and just did not do it. I could have. I watched a couple of movies. I mean, I could have done it. I just didn't do it. I didn't think about it, really. And I got up this morning, and my mind was all over the place. When I sat down to meditate, I said, what is wrong with me? And I said, wait a minute. I said, I didn't meditate at all yesterday. I said, it really is accumulative. It really is. So, um, you, know, you learn those things at work. It wasn't about spending hours of reading. It it's about the things that spoke to me, you know, the things that work for me. So, that's uh, that's super important that we that we learn the things that speak to us. Let's just do them, and they're usually the simplest, easiest things. Uh, Rob, you got a comment, sir?
4: Yeah, real quick. Uh, early in recovery, uh, for me at least, um, I was doing anything and everything, and anything I came across, which was anything I get my hands on to just not drink and I see a lot of new folks joining another another group I'm a member of and you know my my recommendation to them is do everything and anything and <laughs> grab claw anything not to drink and he, you know here's 50 things try them all keep an open mind but you know somewhere in the process once I got uh, the stuff out of my system and I got over the pink cloud, I had to come to the same thing buddy. If I don't start my day out um, centered, know where I stand in this whole thing and just calm down, um, pretty much by three o'clock, I'm coming off the rails wanting to drink. I mean, it's really that that critical for me. So I, I can't agree anymore. And this came later in my my recovery. This came later after I figured out I don't need 55 things. They quit drinking. That's that's what I got. Thanks, Rob. Craig?
3: I think we use the right tools to excess as well, um, or, or to, to the right amount. Um, with me saying that I was doing too much recovery, I was focused on the wrong part of recovery. I was focusing on the not drinking part. And by thinking about not drinking, all I was doing was thinking about drinking. It was getting into that headset. It was getting into that mindset of just, don't think about drinking, don't think about drinking. It's like saying, don't think about the yellow elephant. Everybody all of a sudden starts thinking about the yellow elephant and they can't get rid of this thing out of their head. Um, if I had, a, um, if I had a jumped forward to some of the podcasts I was listening to, if I have jumped about 45 minutes in, I would have started focusing on the right side of recovery. I would have, I would have focused on the way people were getting better rather than just empathising on everybody's poor me, poor me. You know, this, this is where I was and I'm stuck here. Um, I think looking at looking at the right side of of what you're doing, so using the right tools for the right for the right job was important. Um, and there was there was something else. There was something else that Rob touched on. I um, Can't remember what it. Was. I'll come back to that for if I, if I remember. Thanks, Greg. Cindy. Yeah, I
5: for me, I thought about sort of a busyness. You know, I I always say that recovery, like I, I consider myself an onion. I think we all are. Like when you're in recovery, you peel back layers. And I think for me, when I got to a layer I didn't want to deal with, I filled my calendar and I filled my to-do list and I just kept filling and filling and filling and filling to the point where it was like I was trying to keep like make up for lost time and leave myself no time for reflection because as long as I couldn't think about it, then I wasn't going to have to deal with it. But that really didn't work out so well. Um, so to me, it's also that Um, not just a recovery thing, but what, what am I doing with my time? Like, am I filling my calendar to the point where there literally is no time left for there to be any reflection? And it's also setting myself up for failure because if one thing fucks up and it always will, everything crashes. And then I've created all this stress for myself. And I feel like that's a cycle that I sort of was doing for the last couple of years. Whereas this year I'm feeling more mindful about as things pop up, is this the right thing? I don't have to say yes immediately to someone who makes a request of me. I can think about it. I can pray about it. I can. I don't have to people please. you know. So I think I was trying to fill my cup up with people approving of what I was doing, people approving of what I was saying. Do I look like I'm that kind of person you should trust and like and whatever? Whereas I really just need to focus on, remaining open and not having an expectation.
0: Thanks, Cindy. That's good. That's good. Paul? Yeah, I just want to reiterate kind of what everybody else has been saying. I really like this discussion here as it relates to recovery. Um, I, I have to keep it simple. You know, I have to just, um, uh, you know, I do my gratitude in the morning and then I pretty much go on with my day and I don't really give it, much thought to my recovery, other than when I'm in these meetings. Um, I think a lot of people in my life, a lot of my friends, probably don't even know that I'm in recovery. You know, because I was so good at hiding my drinking, and I've made a lot of new friends since I've gotten into recovery. You know, that are that are not in recovery themselves. So I have a lot of normie friends who probably have no clue as to my past or or what. But uh, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's just a quick, simple little practice in the morning, and I can get on with the day and. I found that's what works for me. It might not work for you. That's fine, but you know, if somebody asks about it, I'll share about it. But I don't, to be honest with you, most of my friends don't even like. I said a lot of them don't have a clue, and if they and if they do, they don't really. We don't really talk about it too much because it doesn't affect them, and so. But yeah, I I, I really like the uh, I like that that uh, analogy with the the sharpening of the blade. That really spoke to me.
1: Yeah that. That's really talking from what uh, some of the commentaries say that's talking about the sharper the blade, the easier it is to break. And the same with a cup. Trying to walk with a full cup is so difficult. When if you just are moderate and just have a, what the cup is designed to carry in it or less, it's so much easier to walk with. Same kind of thinking. The same with money. It's chasing after money uh we you know we have the same issues that if we uh if that becomes too valuable to us or we have too much it's difficult to manage same kind of thing kirsty
6: i think i just um reiterate what a lot of people have been saying um i think it's very easy even in recovery to become a person who seeks approval and in doing that at the same time um grasps at all of these things to the point that you haven't just one got one cup that's filling over you've got about 10 um and you know and and you're sharpening that knife to the point where it is gonna it is gonna break and I, i've been there uh, you know it's so slow it's it's not it's it's very very it's very easy to find yourself in that position and feel like you are doing the right thing um and and it's only you know many years later on reflection that you just look back and think goodness me you were so poorly um and <clears throat> you know life i i I, for me, it's, it is, I find it very difficult balance because I'm as guilty as anyone for doing too much, but also doing too little. You know, I can, I can you know, quite happily drive myself crazy and up the wall with, with tasks that really aren't that important. Um, but also I can sleep for England. I could do it as a uh, as a as a sport um and I could spend my days you know watching watching endless you know television um and so it it is it is about moderation but that's it's just not something I have yet um developed a skill at um and and must must try to get some kind of, I don't know. I always say this. I always say this. I've said this so many times. I need a bit of balance, but you know, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And it's the reflection. It's the looking back. It's the seeing actually how much improvement there's been. Um, You know, I don't work and I do things that I want to. I don't have a list. I go with the flow. And yeah, life is so much better being slower and not putting such a high value on the stuff that I used to think was so important, like money, career, busyness, being busy is one thing Um, and facing it, you know, just facing it, facing life um and that's you know that's me
3: greg i remembered what it was um and it kind of comes back to what Kirsty was just saying there as well it was part of my um part of my readings this morning i, I do the the U version in the bible and um, and part of it was um matthew 11 and i replaced the words um religion I, I've, what i've done is I, I looked at this reading as if it was my my, my sobriety talking to me i've put some I, I didn't put some of my addiction it says are you tired, worn out, burned out on drinking? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Enforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live right and freely. And I kind of thought that, that touched really on my my addiction and where I'm now in my, in my recovery, and my sobriety. That's where I'm at the moment. I'm, I'm living a, a, an incredibly light life in terms of not taking on too much, not doing more than I need to be doing. Uh, and it, it really is truly such a great place to be. I wouldn't have been able to do it without these tools and using the right tool to the right amount. Yeah, well, that's good.
1: Thank you, Craig. about this idea of care about people's approval and you will be their prisoner? A couple of y'all have touched on that. I wrote, uh, to let go of the approval of others, I am the prisoner of those whom I seek to approve. Yes,
6: That's That defined my life for probably (laughs) over 20 years um, and including several years in recovery. Um, And I don't know whether that was a a conditioned um, idea that I had um, but you know what I did was what I thought I want wanted other people's people for me you know for me to do um, because I was so used to being told that I was wrong um, that I was defective and 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 you know and, and being shamed Um and you know recently in the last probably 12 months being able to say well this is what i am this is who i am this is these are my values um and this is what i want to do the people that are true friends are still there the same true friends that have been with me you know for for those all those years and if people don't like it, well, they've kind of dropped off and I've not really felt a great loss. Um, And it's that for me is the most liberating thing about the peeling, you know, losing that layer, using that layer of needing the approval of people um, and being like codependent on my father and my husband. And, you know, because it it was it I was trapped. I was trapped in a world where I lived for other people and now I am living for myself and I have choices and and that is mind blowing really. Mind blowing.
1: Hey, Kirsty, don't you think that I think what this chapter did was it showed us really the the outward manifestation of what happens when we're a people pleaser. Mm. The the way it's shown is our lack of moderation a lot of times. That's one thing that can cause all this lack of moderation, this over-sharpening. All of this is because we're so concerned with pleasing the people around us. So we're a prisoner to all of these people because we have such care and concern about their approval. And the result of that... Yeah, is these things you know that we see here—the overfilling and the over sharpening, and the excess money—all those things because we're trying to find someone's approval externally that we can't find. Yeah,
6: and it's to—it's to fill that you know that ever, ever present void within, you know, a great number of addicts that that says that we're not good enough um, when in reality. We all are and we all are as our authentic selves. Yeah. Um, and we don't need to do a career for someone else and thousands of whatever for, you know, for the approval of, I don't know, society or whatever it is that we think we're doing. Um, because I know that even if I had nothing. The people in my life that mattered would still be there, um, and that kind of is what you know. Hopefully, well, the way I try and live my life nowadays.
4: Yeah. thank you, Kirsty. Uh, Rob, yeah, this one's this one I'm working through now because everything that I learned from an early age was: if I get all A's, I I get a reward, and my parents are happy if I. In the social crowd. I'm not sitting by myself, getting made fun of if I lose the weight, I'm accepted because I'm cool. If I'm not cool, I can drink and then I can, I figure out I'm cool and I'm now in the crowd and people like me. It's like this um, it's like this false message that the world, my parents and everybody everything around me is saying, you know work hard you'll get you'll make more money but um I'm having to come to terms that my worth's not based on other people's approval, which I think is a paraphrase of what's being said here. And that that mentality of I, I my whole existence is to uh, be a show and think until I make it for other people's approval is, is exactly slavery. It's you're never going to win. Um, it just shackles and... Um, it wasn't until I started recovery, I think I might have heard these concepts, maybe in some personal counseling that I've had and things, but it didn't really become a reality. Be true to thine own self. These these concepts of, wait a minute, you know, I've, I've got to figure out who I am and where I fit in this whole thing and what kind of control I have or don't have and start there and then let the chips fly, fall wherever they are, right? I can't control what other people think of me. So I'm going to work on me. I'm going to try to be um, a good human and, and do the right next thing. And uh, again, I'm, this is all new to me. So I'm just starting it, but this kind of, boom, this is kind of opening. It's like the focus on the binoculars. It's kind of fine tuning for me and this conversation helps. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks Rob. Thanks. Uh, Marla.
2: Um, it, it seems like, society as a whole puts heavy burdens on us as human beings, no matter who. You know, every culture has, uh, have, has these restraints that they put on their children and our friends put, the, put you know, we just come with this. But what, what made us addicts was that we couldn't fill that empty space that was created um, by not being able to fulfill other people's ideas of who we should be that for me i'm going to say that's for me um, in my experience i could not quite fulfill that emptiness and as you know as a result i just kept going with like my last addiction was pot and i just kept eating and smoking and eating and smoking even though it wasn't making any difference i wasn't getting any higher and same with drinking i kept, just kept going and going and going and i have a little body you know and i I'd barf and then start all over again. It was never enough. Um but um that I mean that's what I had to that's what we have to deal with in recovery is fulfilling that whole satiating ourselves without getting high, I guess. So,
1: well, find find something within to feel rather than external, like we're like we're looking and thinking it is. Yeah.
2: And the ultimate freedom for me came with not giving a shit what other people think of me anymore. There's so much freedom in that.
1: No longer their prisoner, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, you got to choose who you want to take up real estate in your brain, or what you want to have take up real estate in your brain.
1: Sandy.
5: I don't know if this will make any sense. I still sort it out in my head. Um, There was something I saw at the end of last year that like whenever you're starting something, you have to be honest with yourself about where you are. And I think part of my issue for the last couple of years, certainly from a weight and health perspective has been being delusional about where I'm at. Like I just have not accepted where I'm at to start from there. So I just keep going, well, I'll just, I just have to lose like 10 pounds and then I'd be good. And that's bullshit because 10 pounds was a long time ago. So, and I'm not saying that I have to lose weight to be, like to fit someone else's ideal or whatever. It has reached a point in my life in the last year where it's affecting my health and I'm a nurse. So I spend my professional life telling other people and counseling them and coaching them on how to take care of themselves and I'm not taking care of me. And so now I've reached a point physically where it's like it's not even optional anymore. Like somebody should be counseling me, which is me. I should be counseling me because I know what to do. So I I feel like I reached a point where like I had started to lose some weight. I had felt good about my health. I became a whole 30 certified coach, was doing all this stuff and then I got scared. And I dealt with some emotional stuff and I ate because if I keep the weight on, then I can't be a good Whole30 certified coach and I can't be this and I can't be that. So I can set myself up for failure just by eating. And at the end of this last year, I literally found myself eating food and not even enjoying it and not wanting it and still sitting there and eating it. And that's when I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. This is just like drinking, right? It's, I'm just going to keep drinking, except now it's an Oreo. Excuse on my swearing this morning. Um, but I, I just, like, it has occurred to me that I am doing the same thing or I have been doing the same thing with food and exercise that I did with so many other things. It's, it's like, let me let me create some distance between me and everyone else. This time I'm going to do it with food and some weight because then I don't want to be intimate with my husband because I feel like shit. So there, I've got some space now. I'm good.
1: Your your ego always wants to divide, doesn't it? It always wants to be divisive. Find a way to make you separate. Yeah. Yeah.
5: It, It does. I mean, my, my place of comfort is withdrawal. And so last year I started to physically create a situation where I have to withdraw because you know, which is crazy. I don't mean crazy, like crazy, crazy. I just, it, it's like, I, at what point will I stop going into the same hole with a different substance?
1: When you surrender to fear, you, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head with the fear, Cindy. Yeah. You, you, that fear of success with this, that uh, getting rid of uh, the fears that are associated with that. All this is just protecting that fear. Is all it is. Uh, that's what I think. That's that's where things go for me. Is the fear. <laughs> fear, Uh, uh Kirsty,
6: I think that's when I sleep. When I when I'm doing something, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, it might get a bit good. Oh, I'm just gonna sleep and do fuck all.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> this seems oh, to seems- be going well. What can I do to fuck it up? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: You know, that's what our fear, the, the only uh, tool our ego has is fear. That's it. Just think about how many things we thought we were motivated out of good things in ourself when it was really just fear. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of not having enough money. We're afraid of getting kicked out of our house. We're afraid our spouse isn't going to appreciate us. We're afraid of this and that. We're afraid our kids are going to make mistakes. We're And we make all these decisions based off of fear. And that's all our ego has. It doesn't have when we can surrender that and quit being the prisoner of all of this and move to a place of love to where now we do things out of love. We want to have a nice house, not because we want to work, not because we're afraid of losing what we have, but because we want to provide good things for the people we love. How much better is that? It might look the same on the outside, but it's totally different within, you know. Paul you got something to I, oh go ahead
6: Kirstie. I, I think i think there's also there's also fear of of, of and well for me anyway of being, of being loved because if you're loved and it goes against everything you've ever believed and you're liked and you're appreciated and people you, you, and for dare i say it you fit in pause Right. You know, I, that's that's scary because then people can take that away. And that's that's like, no, 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 Don't want that. I'd rather I'd rather fuck you off right from the start because, you know, because then 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 I don't have to deal with the potential in my head that will play of rejection.
0: So, yeah. Thanks, Sandy. Paul, you have something, sir? Uh, yeah, just getting back a little bit to what Marla was touching on with uh, society, you know, and uh, I mean, we live in a materialistic society and, you know, we're always trying to keep up appearances. I know that was a big thing with my parents' generation, especially when I was a kid. A lot of this, I think, can be traced back to our childhoods, can it? I mean, our, our my parents, uh, my dad was very successful and he wanted all of his sons to be successful and he really was kind of when I was in high school, he was kind of pushing me towards a career in accounting because he thought, you know, accountants make good money and, you know, this and that and the other thing. And I, I wanted to go into radio, which if anybody knows anything about radio business, when you're starting, especially you make no money. I mean, you literally (laughs) make little to no money, which is what happened to me. But that, and then I found my, my current job, which thankfully, uh, is a little more money. It's not still not anything near what an accountant would make, but I'm happy. And, uh, you know, I, that, that's what drives me. So, um, but yeah, I think it all goes back to our, you know, even my parents, you know, um, I'm sure they had some different expectations for me in a lot of things, you know, uh, I'm sure they wanted me to get married and have kids. And I decided that wasn't for me either. So, and I had a lot of self-loathing about that kind of stuff for a long time. I think that really drove my addiction. Um, one of the one of the great benefits of my recovery has been that, uh, you know, I learned to I learned to get rid of that and um, just like who I am for who I am. So, thanks, Paul. Thanks, Craig. I
3: think sometimes that the biggest fear comes from um, change, letting go of what's comfortable, letting go of what we used to, even if it's hurting us. At the moment, I'm having to. I'm, I'm potentially facing a, a, a change where I'm going to have to do something new, and it doesn't sit. It doesn't sit right with me. There's just something that's not quite right about me having to get out of my comfort zone and go and do something that it's not. It's not. I'm being. It's not something I'm being forced to do. It's, it's something that I need to do. But I'm finding at the moment I'm fairly settled in the routine that I'm at. I'm. I'm questioning. Do I, do I want to? Do I want to stay this comfortable, or is this another change that's going to be good for me? I've always I've always feared change is something bad because it gets me out of my everyday routine. Um but thankful thankfully one of the biggest changes I ever made was, was the best thing I ever done and that was that was not drinking. And when I was drinking I tried everything I tried everything to not drink apart from not drinking. That was that was the that was my biggest fear was letting go letting go of drinking by you know, the the answer was I had to stop drinking. But I didn't want to do it. Thanks, Craig. How about let's talk in the
1: last few minutes we have about this idea of doing our work, then stepping back, that it being the path to serenity. I think this whole, this chapter has set us up to this. You know, at first it told us, you know, showed us what was wrong and then showed us internal, what was wrong outwardly, then internally told us about being a people pleaser. Now it's given us the real, uh, uh, the real tool to use to improve on this. Learning how to do our work and step back is the only path to serenity. Stephen Mitchell on that, he says, when you do your work wholeheartedly, you're glad to let it go. Just as a parent lets a child go into its own life. So he's saying that it's talking about approaching our work In the same way that when our children get older, that we start relating to them in that we let them find their way. You know, they can walk themselves somewhere instead of you having to take them when they get big enough. That kind of letting go of your children in the same way that we can let go of our work, that we don't have to be trapped by our work in a way that we please people, you know, that kind of a thing uh tina
7: to me i feel like it's this is about letting your ego go letting your ego go um because you know well i guess i guess what sums it up best for me is somebody in my meeting you know we we try not to put limits on how long you can speak you know there's a couple of theories on that but the the one that hits home with me the most is they say try to limit it Limit, you're speaking to about three minutes because anything after that is bullshit anyways. And it's. I've always found it so true because once you say what you're thinking, there it is. After that, you're trying to prove or, or convince or whether it's yourself, someone else, and that's your ego. They said anything after that's ego. And to me, that's what sums, sums this up is that here you are. And that's all that's all you need to do. It only is going to be a, a few minutes of what you got.
1: Thank you, Tina. You know Any time in my work, I can approach my work in the same way that or any that work could be anything that we're doing, not just our work, so to speak, is' what we're doing to make a living, but any of our actions can be the same way. whatever it is that we're accomplishing um, are we looking at it as a way that What's our goal behind that? What's our purpose? Or am I doing this task because I'm afraid someone's not going to be happy with me? Then I'm over into this people-pleasing business. Or am I doing this for someone because I love them and I want to do something nice for them? And I have found myself over the years, used to the majority of my tasks were rooted in some kind of fear, like we were talking about earlier. Now they're starting to move toward love, but I still see them. Cindy and I were talking for the meeting about a situation that happened to me this morning where I was pushing someone out of fear. Had no love in it at all. It was all fear. You're going to be late for your job, and they're not going to be happy with you. There's no love in that. That's fear. (laughs) So I was push, push, push. So I got pushed back because all it was was fear, you know. So... You know, that's the kind of thing that we learn and it's just great when we start learning these uh what's really behind what we're doing. You know, and when we can be honest with that, uh we can start moving to a higher level with it. Uh any comments at this point? Tina, you have something else? Are you good? You good? Okay. All right. Wayne Dyer. We've got about ten minutes or so, Marla. You want to hit some of Wayne Dyer?
2: Sure. Um, Let me just read the verse. Um, This is Wayne Dyer's version. To keep on filling is not as good as stopping. Overfilled, the cupped hands drip. Better to stop pouring. Sharpen a blade too much, and its edge will soon be lost. Fill your house with jade and gold, and it brings insecurity. Puff yourself with honor and pride, and no one can save you from a fall. Retire when the work is done. This is the way of heaven. So the chapter is called Live with Humility. Um, The Tao has a capability to generate everything in amounts that would stupefy an observer. Yet its gentle humility seems to know when there are enough trees, flowers, bees, hippos, and every other living thing. Excess is eschewed by the Tao. It doesn't need to show off its unlimited capacity for creating. It knows exactly when to stop. Blah, blah, blah. Cramming life with possessions, pleasures, pride, and activities when we've obviously reached a point where more is less indicates being in harmony with ego, not the Tao. Living humility knows when to just stop, let go, and enjoy the fruits of our labor. This verse clearly analogizes that the pursuit of more status, more money, more power, more approval, more stuff, is as foolish as honing a carving knife after it has reached its zenith of sharpness. Obviously, to continue would just create dullness, and it is obvious that a keen edge represents perfection. So Lao Tzu advises us to be careful about amassing great wealth and storing it away. This practice contributes to a life spent keeping our fortunes safe and insured while at the same time always feeling the need to pursue more. He counsels us to be satisfied at a level that fosters living with humility. If wealth and fame are desired, we must know when to retire from the treadmill and be like the Tao. This is the way of heaven as opposed to the world that we live in, which is addicted to, in italics, more. Um, Wayne Dyer sees this as a choice overload. We have too many uh, pain pills for backaches, for menstrual menstrual cramps, headaches, and joint pains. And how do you make a decision? We just have too many. Um, I believe that Lao Tzu sends the following modern advice from his ancient perspective come to grips with the radical concept of enough is enough. And he goes on, make this commitment even though you live in a world addicted to the idea that one can never have enough of anything. To paraphrase Lao Tzu, do your work and then step back. Practice humility rather than ostentation and uncontrolled consumption. The obesity crisis in the Western world, particularly in America, is a direct result of not understanding and living the simple wisdom of the ninth verse of the Tao Te Ching. Eat, but stop when you're full. To continue stuffing food into a satiated body is to be trapped in believing that more of something is the cause of your happiness, as well as drinking too much. And this is truly, and this is true of overfilling yourself with any artificial symbol of success. Think instead of the infinite wisdom of the Tao, which says, to keep on filling is not as good as stopping. Enough is not only enough, it is in alignment with the perfection of the eternal Tao. Seek the joy in your activities rather than focusing on ego's agenda. And it goes on to say, you know, about about the ego. The next time you're mired in a desire for more, stop and think of the Tao. This creation principle fully grasps the idea that when the work is done, then for God's sakes, it's time to stop. As Lao Tzu advises, this is the way of heaven. Why ever choose to be in conflict with that? And in practice, do the Tao now. At your next meal, practice portion control by asking yourself after several bites if you're still famished. If not, just stop and wait. If no hunger appears, call it complete. At this one meal, you'll have practiced the last sentence of the ninth verse of the Tao Te Ching. Retire when the eating is done. This is the way of heaven.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Marlowe. There was one thing in here that I really liked. He was talking about um, how we don't always have to improve things. We don't always have to make things better. Um, You know, this idea here that if nine months will create such a beautiful baby, I'll extend the gestation period to five years. It will be perfect. I will have an even more perfect creation. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. The Tao says that nine months is perfect. That's what you get and you don't need any more time. (laughs) You know, this idea that we can always improve and make something better and that whole thing. You know, that's that was really interesting to me that he, he used that example, which really is a great example of that. In the couple of minutes we have left, I do want to talk about a little more about how we approach this idea with work or tasks in such a way that we can move from people-pleasing to maybe something a little healthier than that. Um, Any suggestions on tools to use for me uh, about how to step back from your work, in other words? I mean, practically, how to do that? Uh, A couple of things has been mentioned already, and Paul talked about this, and several of us did, about doing our daily practice, whatever that practice is, to make us more aware of what's going on for the day. That's a good place to start, because if we're not awake and alert, we're not able to see these things anyway. Uh, We talked about, is my motivation for what I'm doing out of fear or out of love? Am I doing this because I'm afraid, or am I doing this uh, out of, uh, or can I move that motivation, surrender the fear, and find love in what I'm doing?
0: Paul, you have something, sir? Yeah, just one quick little tool that always works for me, and this is when when I'm at work and I get stuck on something, that I can't figure out, and it's driving me crazy. I get out and I go for a walk, and that works every single time I come back and I look at it from a fresh perspective, and it's never let me down once wow so you you
1: made some emptiness you made some room there for the solution to show itself
2: yeah, yeah. yep that's for good me, um, and in Uh, about dealing with, um, like not being a doormat or caring what other people think about me. I realized that I'm, they have the same insecurities that I do. People are just like me. I'm just like them. We all have the same insecurities. So who am I trying to impress? They're trying to impress me. I'm trying to impress them. Who, who, who wins? Nobody. Um, in realizing through recovery and talking to other people, I'm—I think the same way, and I'm not defective. Um, it's got me to a point where I, I, although I care what other people think of me, I—I I don't well. I, it doesn't define who I am anymore.
1: It's a practice, isn't it, Marla?
2: Definitely a practice. Definitely a practice. Um, yeah, I started with family. Oh, so I really did. Is that my, fa- you know, my family is the one that I wanted to really impress and have them approve of me, and I started with them not, not working
5: so hard at it anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. That's good. Sandy?
5: I think it's, it's two things for me. One is my sponsor always said, you know, do the work and, and let your higher power take care of, of the outcome, and I have a quote that I keep on my desk that's, marry the process, divorce the outcome because I can't control how it comes out. Um and the other thing is I have learned to embrace the fact or I'm learning. I'm quirky Like I am an odd duck and that's okay. So for me to go to work and try to act like I'm this ultra Uber, super have my shit together nurse, it doesn't work. I have to embrace it. So like yesterday I was at work and my patient's IV pump started beeping and she's like, did I do something wrong? And I'm like, no, your nurse forgot to undo the clamp. That's why. So let me undo that and we'll be good to go. And I have just found by just being who I am when I'm with patients and being authentic works out so much better than when I try to be what my head thinks a good nurse is like in terms of personality because that's not who I am. Like I'm I'm a little off and I think that makes me special. I said to a patient yesterday who was also an alcoholic, you know, who's got some other mental health issues and she's like, you know, my husband gives me shit blah blah whatever. I said, "Listen, there are some of us who have so much fabulousness going on that it takes a village and that's okay. <laughs> and and that's how I'm approaching it now is you know what it's not because I'm defective it's cuz I'm that fucking special. It just takes more people. Yes, that's what I was meaning to say. I'm not special. But I'm special. <laughs> yes, but it's okay.
1: You know, think I have to approach this idea of people pleasing In the same way that I did my alcohol in that I'm powerless over this and I need help with this area of life, like every other area of life that I want to be free of me, free of fear. I have to, uh, I have to surrender it. So that makes it a process. That makes it a process, a process of surrender, really, when I can approach it without my solution. My solution is to jump in when I'm afraid of something and try to fix it and push, and force. It's always this push, and my voice goes up, and the whole thing of you're not doing what you need to, and I'm afraid this is not going to happen, so here, you know, and I push, and I force, but I've got to learn just to step back from that, so that's good. That's good, the letting go. Gratitude, I swear I thought you were going, Paul, because I was going to mention gratitude as a tool when I'm with my work. If I can't find um, if I can't find a way from, to move from fear to love, that bridge can be the gratitude.
0: Yeah. I thought I thought I'd let somebody else mention it once. Okay.
2: <laughs> Maybe if you keep repeating it, it'll finally sink in. Yeah, Paul. <laughs> Anyways, you know, have, happy birthday, Paul.
1: Oh yeah, happy birthday. birthday, Paul. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Marla. You hope you have welcome. a great birthday today, Paul. I hope it's filled with emptiness. It's off to a good start. <laughs> guys? I
2: have you birthday gift. Nothing. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs>
1: guys, anything else before we close? Good meeting. All right, guys. Don't you have a great week. See you. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email shared google recovery calendars hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week
0: thank you for listening to the dow of our understanding recovery podcast if you enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends in recovery